Hello, welcome to another episode of Forgotten Cello Music, episode 30, Cello in the 18th Century, Italy. Italy has the claim of priority in violin cello as well as violin playing. It was the birthplace of the violin and of the cello, and from thence emanated the artistic executive development of both instruments. The Violin Cello and Its History by Joseph Vasilevsky, page 48. This is a very exciting episode for me. It brings back lots of memories of student days and exploration. The contents of this episode are as follows. Uh, there will be a number of well-known cellists mentioned, and uh, kind of a list of other cellists that we don't know anything about, really. Um, a tally of cellists who wrote music, then a very, very brief introduction or a mention of thumb position and when it came about. And then we come to Baccarini, a seminal cellist composer that Vasilevsky takes almost three pages to talk about. Now, on the other hand, he actually rather puts down Baccarini's music, even though it had such an incredible impact, not only on cello music and playing, but uh, across many, many genres. Baccarini's style and character of writing, not popular, uh, more like a two-hit wonder. Then his mention of a, the famous menuet that I'm sure most of my listeners, if not all of them, know about from his string quartet, Opus 11, number 5, in E major. And lastly, every cellist that gets to uh, an advanced level certainly knows his concerto in B-flat. But there's a twist. Please stay with me to hear about that one. Firstly, let's address some of the well-known cellists early on in this section, Italy, in the 18th century. But we actually start back before the 18th century um, with, a, with a very well-known name. This is a Domenico Gabrielli. I'm sure anybody that is versed in musical history and composition knows about Gabrielli. Now, he had a surname, Menghino del Violoncello, and that is really incredible because he was a cello virtuoso and he actually got to be known as Dom Domenico of the cello. Although his life was lived entirely in the 17th century, his dates are approximately 1640 to 1690, uh, Vasilevsky seems f it fit to include him in the 18th century section. Gabrielli was a composer of some renown. He composed operas, motets, and various instrumental music. Uh, curiously, at this time in the late 1800s, Vasilevsky specifically writes that Gabrielli appears to have written nothing specially for the cello on page 48. This is now known to be false. He actually composed two sonatas, seven Richard Cari, and a canon for two cellos. That's a total of 10 pieces specifically for cello. And how fortunate we are that somebody known as Menghino 
del violoncello, or Dom Domenico of the cello, wrote uh, a healthy number of pieces. It really shows us where the cello was at at the beginning of its history. Now a little information specifically, definitions as it were, of Richard Carre and Canon. And both of these come from Baker's Dictionary of Musical Terms. Richard Carre, or in my best Italian accent, Richard Carre. These are compositions of the 16th and 17th centuries in fugal form, more or less highly developed, usually built up as a sort of fantasia on original motives. And next, the canon. This is the strictest form of musical imitation, in which two or more parts take up in succession exactly the same subject, and a canon in unison, the consequent, that is the succeeding part, taking the very same notes as the antecedent, that is the first part to enter but of course entering later, that is, entering at a specified place in the score. Gabrielli wrote these seven ricercari, which are for solo cello, and in it you can hear fugal elements, but you also hear the, the element of fantasia, and it seems to me that this element of fantasia really brings itself to the fore. Each of these seven ricercari are quite different in style, uh, different key, and different length. The first one, for example, is just one page in G minor, which is the one you will be hearing in the background, while the longest is an incredible six pages long, and it is fantastic, pun intended. The fantasy comes through in that one for sure. Secondly, his canon is likewise a canvas to add ornaments, but in this case, it's ad adhered to more strictly in the manner of a fugue, uh, because, well, it's a canon. You must play exactly the notes written there for it to be a canon. You cannot improvise, as it were, otherwise it ceases to be a canon, and what he wrote pretty much also ceases to have meaning. He also wrote two cello sonatas, and apparently these might be the earliest cello sonatas that we have on record. The second cellist we come to is one Franciscello, and you might have already noticed it. I mentioned Franciscello not for his fame, but because of what's in his name. You probably heard the word cello at the end. That's right, his name is actually spelled F-R-A-N-C-I-S-C-E-L-L-O. Vasilevsky does state that he was very active and moved around, and did leave quite an impression on anyone who heard him perform. He says on page 50, Through Franciscello's extraordinary performances, the violin cello was soon generally accepted in Italy, that the gamba had in 1730 almost entirely disappeared from the Italian orchestras. Next is Jacopo or Giuseppe Basile Cervetto. Cervetto. 
He spent the first 46 years of his life in Italy, and then he moved to England uh, when he got, as they say, the travel bug. All of his music is influenced by his Italian upbringing. According to Bernie's judgment, that is, Charles Bernie, Cervetto was, for his time, a very clever violoncellist who knew how to manipulate the fingerboard with much dexterity. Here's a little note on Charles Bernie, 1726-1814. In the Grove's Dictionary it says, He had exhausted all the information that books could afford him, and was far from what he desired. The present state of music could only be ascertained by personal investigation, and to converse with the most celebrated musicians of foreign countries, as well as his own in England. He resolved to make the tour of Italy, France, and Germany, and furnished with powerful letters of introduction from the Earl of Sandwich, who was a nobleman devoted to music. He then quitted London in June 1770. Sometimes it's helpful to have a little information, and sometimes it's just interesting. It's, it's just really interesting that uh, everything is very much connected, and these historians are not just grabbing bits of information out of thin air. They really are doing field work. They're walking the streets, and they're getting into the thick of it, trying to figure out what's going on. So, we can say that it's first-person knowledge for much of what's written down. Now, back to Cervetto. Cervetto was a well-known cellist. He wrote a, uh, a good deal of works for the cello. He had a son named James, who also became a cellist, and who also wrote a significant number of compositions for cello. Jacopo Cervetto the Elder lived to the age of 101 and amassed a fortune of 20,000 pounds sterling. The numerous works by these two Cervettos contains much florid and embellished writing. Uh, this is my own uh, observation. I have included one example of the cello sonata and uh, almost everything that you hear, just a side note, is uh, comes from a cello sonata and in these times, cello sonatas were written as the solo part, but then what we call a basso continuo. And that's literally just a bass line that has numbers over it. And this is called figured bass. And from that, a keyboardist or some sort of uh, harmonist, could be another cellist, a guitarist, or what have you, they can figure out chords based on what is written there. The following pages in the violoncello and its history. There are several more names from the early part of the 18th century, uh, which are not so well known. Uh, but from the later part of the 18th century, a handful of names about little is known other than they composed a good deal for the cello. And I'm going to spend a few moments now on these names. So we have in a list, Iacchini, Amadio, Vandini, Abaco, Dalolio, and Lanzetti. To begin, uh, this 
Giuseppe Dalbaco, 1710-1805. He wrote a cello solo entitled Capricci, and this was about 1748. There are 11 of these. Again from Baker's Dictionary of Musical Terms, Capriccio. Capriccio. This is a title frequently given to instrumental pieces of free, unconventional form and distinguished by originality in harmony and rhythm. A capriccio. That is, at pleasure, at libitum. Capriccioso. Capricious. Fantastic. Like a fantasy? Maybe. And while you're listening, uh, see what you can ascertain. You know, are the richer car, uh, the capriccio, is this something that sounds fantastic, that's uh, more original, maybe almost through composed, I suppose you could say? Then comes a Salvatore Lanzetti, 1710-1780. to This cellist wrote dozens of pieces, and many of them are sonatas. And again, that is a reminder, a cello solo and a basso continuo. All of these works have a delightful, florid, playful character. And he also wrote a book of instruction. This is page 54. After this, there is an Andrea Caporale, 1700-1746. Like many of these musicians of the time, uh, just like Cervetto, he moved to London. He worked. Now, special, he did work with Handel. He wrote, uh, he worked with Handel, and Handel even wrote a solo for him in, in his opera, De Damia. This is Handel's opera. Now we come to a name that I mentioned for a special purpose. Can you figure out why? Before I say, Carlo Ferrari, 1714 to 1790. Now I will pronounce his name with my accent. Carlo Ferrari. Alright, so you probably figured it out already. I mentioned this cellist name uh, for two reasons. His surname is Ferrari. You know, is it likely that he is an ancestor of the 20th century car maker Ferrari? I guess probably. Doesn't seem like there are too many of them these days. Uh, number two. He was somehow known in his time as the one who developed thumb position for cello playing. But as Vasilevsky points out, this is not possible since thumb position was already known and utilized by earlier cellists, uh, namely Franceschello, who I already talked about. And not only that, there is a cello method by a Frenchman, uh, Michel Corette, who writes about thumb position in his method in 1741. After Corette's method and the lengthy explanations proving that thumb position was indeed in use before Ferrari was deemed the inventor thereof, there are mentioned many, many more cellists. Each of the cellists written about were respected in their day and accomplished in execution of the instrument. And to continue on with a few more specific names, there is one Carlo Graziani. I don't know his birth date, but he died in 1787. 
I'll mention this cellist really for one reason. Uh, the, some years ago, I came across this name in one of the music magazines, like the BBC Music or Strings or the Strad. And I ended up listening to a set of six sonatas, and of course, in this time, it was customary to publish in sets of six. And of course, in the solo basso continuo um, uh, instrumentation, this discovery, well, for me it was a discovery, reaffirmed the belief that there really is much more music out there, and uh, it's, it's charming. There's, there's so much more music out there that's charming, it's pleasing, it has uh, a place in our learning and in our performing. It's charming. There's there's so much more music out there that's charming. It's pleasing. It has uh, a place in our learning and in our performing. Coming to the very last name that Vasilevsky mentions in this section, that is 18th century in Italy, is Luigi Boccherini, 1743 to 1805. This is most certainly the most famous cellist of the era by far. Uh, I don't know anybody that doesn't know his name. Why is he famous? not least because of the delightful and oft-played minuet, which was plucked from one of over 200 string quintets. Now, my own thought, it begs the question, are there many more gems contained in his hundreds of compositions that were not played? Because, well, he wrote so much, maybe it's hard to get through it all. But look at this. He, he wrote over 200 string quintets, this amount here already qualifies Boccherini as a prolific composer. Yet, he wrote numberless trios, sonatas, symphonies, quartets, quintets, concertos, ballets, operas, masses, cantatas, oratorios, and each genre contains a wide variety of instrumentation. He, he uses bowed stringed instruments, guitar, piano, winds, you name it. Now, as far as compositions for cello are concerned, there are 12 concertos and over 30 sonatas. Now, despite him uh, displaying such a prominent position for Luigi, Luigi Broccherini, Vasileski, as per his habit, speaks down to the compositions not in vogue during his day, the late 1800s. And this is the case for Broccherini's entire output. He just washes over it with uh, a couple of sentences as to why he thinks this way. Regardless, his contribution was apparently so important that such a distasteful representation of the music, that is, by Vasilevsky, did not stop him from reporting on Baccarini's life. Indeed, he wrote a, a miniature biography over the course of three pages. Quote, Very little has proved capable of surviving. 
of Bakri's music, and this little only awakens a limited interest. The cause of it seems to be in a certain simplicity which underlies all Baccarini's music. With great cleverness of form, added to an apt and easy flow, it is certainly not wanting in originality, which has even a humorous tendency. But the manner of expression is characterized by a certain formality, which gives to Baccarini's music an antiquated air. His ideas are wanting in power of thought and depth of feeling. They rarely rise above the pleasing and agreeable. Page 66. The general feeling or thought of that era was not just Vasilevsky's. It apparently was not held. That is, Baccarini's music was not held in high regard by most musicians, and it was arranged to satisfy performers' ideals. Uh, indeed, we have the German pedagogue and technical wizard of the cello, uh, Friedrich Grützmacher, which we will see later on in this book, he made an arrangement of Baccarini's concerto in B-flat major. Now this is what I told you at the very beginning, is the twist. And this is it. This concerto is an arrangement. He took the themes, he took the general flow of the music, or I should say the general idea of the melody and the harmony, and he just uh, started making it into something that we know today as the concerto in B-flat major. And I dare say that this is probably one of the only lasting remnants of a prolific composer in the cello studio, at least as uh, a regular occurrence. Now, he did also write a number of cello sonatas, and the Italian cellist Alfredo Piatti, sometime later in the 1800s, uh, arranged six of these sonatas for cello and piano. And they were published by Ricordi. They're still in print today. I have a copy of them myself. And I indeed learned one of the sonatas one in A major, the first two movements, so it's an adagio and an allegro. These are also learned by students, but they're, they're so florid and fast that really only very advanced students can learn them, and indeed I, I was unable to really conquer the technical aspect of it until my graduate degree. So unfortunately, Baccarini has been left to the wayside. There are some people recording them, as with all of, uh, I would say with almost all of these unknown or lesser known composers, cellists, there are people recording them. Uh, the playtime they get is, is practically zero compared to the very well-known uh, 
composers that we call great composers. In conclusion, I'll just say uh, the less than gracious description of most of these intrepid cellists, I could say, those writing music, forging the way ahead in the world of cello, and making a place for themselves and for the cello, and making money along the way too, um, I've found that there really are many charming, delightful, and pleasing works from these early cellists. And it, it makes no matter that they don't have originality or very little of it, or if it's formulaic. Um, the, I think the, the main thing is, especially in today's world, that it's charming, it's delightful, it's pleasing. I mean, the music that we hear today is so repetitious and formulaic that these seem highly original and structured in comparison to anything in the popular mainstream today. Now, granted, these, as I said, are not always the easiest things to work out. They're florid in nature. Uh, they require lots of embellishment, whether it's written out by the composer or marked as a, an ornament in there. So uh, you need to have knowledge of ornamentation and practice it a lot to be able to execute it well. And, uh, you know, ornamentation in this period is a full study all by itself. It, you could spend an entire year, maybe two, just learning how to ornament really effectively and tastefully. There have been a number of pieces in the background playing that have been recorded professionally and with a basso continual proper. And I encourage you to go look some of these names up, like Cervetto, Manzetti, Ferrari, Graziani, and of course Baccarini. I cannot offer a full-blown uh, basso continual, and so there is something lacking. And what else I cannot give you is a really polished recording at this point in time. Uh, my focus, although I love to play and I love to practice, there's only so much time in the day. And it's really nice to be able to add more than just one or two composers to these episodes. So I do my best to learn it really well uh, in the few moments that I have with each piece and then record it and this is what you get when you are spread very very thinly so again you know in the future if you can spread the word you can listen to the podcast every single episode whether it is conscientiously or unconsciously or on mute, uh, just supporting me in some way, shape, or form would be really wonderful. Uh, you know, I don't get more than a fraction of a penny, a fraction of a cent per listen, 
and if you listen to the entire episode, it seems to be more effective than just listening to a portion of it. I mean, it's like social media and any, on any platform. They, they, really, they really get to the very detail of uh, recording the watcher or the listener. This has been a really interesting topic for me, and I really do enjoy all of these pieces that I've played. I find uh, each one of them interesting, charming, and uh, really nice pieces of music, just to put it really plainly. them up and if you play an instrument go look some music up for your instrument from these composers or similar era composers it's well worth your time to to take a piece or two and just have fun with it play it practice it anyway with that i do wish you a good day play more forgotten cello music and we'll see you in germany in the 18th century.